You're listening to Give and Go Vikes with Liam and Tyler, supported by the UVic Alumni Association. Give and Go Vikes. My name is Leah McDonough and I'm joined by my co-host Tyler Lowy and together we cover the sports scene on campus and talk with some of the Vikes finest. So today on the show we're taking our talents to South Elk Lake as we sit down with Alex Staff and Travis Gronzel, a couple big lads from the men's rowing team. Captain Staff wrapped up his third year with the program this last year and Travis finished up his final year rowing with the Vikes. Tyler, tell me what you thought of Alec and Travis. Alec and Travis were a pleasure to have on the podcast. Maybe the hardest I've laughed on a podcast so far. I don't want to give anything away, but we're talking about stuff that goes on in the boat. And I think that was by far the hardest I've ever laughed on a podcast so far. Absolutely. Uh, I know that a term that comes up in sports a lot is fartlek, but I feel like uh, these guys gave a whole new term to uh, the word fartlek. So <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what uh, viewers think of it or listeners think of this one, but um, there's a lot of stuff in store for them. Yeah, absolutely. And these two guys are beasts, by the way, in the erg room and out on the water. Like these guys, we talked a little bit about uh, where they sit in the boat. These guys have been pulling the weight for the Vikes for a long time. So it was nice to get some of the heavy hitters from men's rowing on the podcast. Absolutely. Alex said that he weighed in at over 200. That's a that's a lot of weight to pull in a boat. And to think about it, eight guys pulling the weight of eight other guys, and then usually a small little man or woman that's coordinating the direction of the boat. It's a lot of weight to pull around. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to have a discussion with one of the coxswains just to kind of understand more about what I understand that they're kind of running everything and make sure everyone's in line, but just like how difficult it is to do that job. And especially one of the events that we have the trial late when they go up the gorge waterways and they got to navigate around some bends and underneath the trestle. That would be probably pretty tricky, I would imagine, from a Coxie's perspective. So I'd love to hear more about that one day, maybe on a future podcast. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I don't know too much about it either. To my knowledge, it's a lot of steering and I don't know if it's too difficult, but I think it's high pressure. And I think it's just maintaining the rhythm of the boat as well. It's hilarious just to see the size difference in these two. I've watched rowing in the Olympics much more than I've watched rowing with the Vikes. And, you know, I've seen boats win medals and the Coxies jumping into their the rowers' arms after. And it's like they could just pick them up with a pinky. They're so small. So it's quite a quite an interesting dynamic in, into what goes on in the boat. And we got into that quite a bit here. Before we head to the show here, Tyler, anything else you want the listeners to know? No, I think that's it. This is a fun one. You're going to learn a lot about these guys. I was making some calls beforehand about our two guests, and I got a lot back on Travis. And, you know, they were everyone's kind of interested to hear how he was going to be on the pod because they thought he was a little bit more of a quieter personality. And I didn't really get that at all. So I think this was a fun one. Absolutely. I fully agree. All right. Well, let's send it right to the podcast. We hope you guys enjoy Alex Staff and Travis Gronstall from Men's Rowing. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Liam and I mention on every podcast that we want athletes to nominate themselves and or their teammates on the show. Hopefully we can satisfy former rower Adrian Friedman's demand to get Travis Gronstall on the pod. 
we've seen the comments every week when we release a new episode <laughs> on social media. Travis, do you think we're making Adrian's and possibly your dreams come true by finally having you on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm just super excited to finally get on one. When Alex sent me the message, I actually messaged Adrian and I sent him a screen cap of our conversation that I finally got on and he was pretty jealous. So what's was, the story yeah. behind that? Why does he want you on so bad? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We were just sort of just sort of firing back and forth at each other, just having some fun with it. And there's no real reason to be totally honest. <laughs> I think we just both thought it'd be kind of cool to be on a podcast. Maybe we'll get him on a future episode then. Maybe, maybe. Well, shout out to Adrian. So yeah. why don't we get started by getting into how you guys both got involved with rowing. Trav, I want to start with you. We heard you were a pretty good lacrosse player growing up. When did Rowan come into the picture, and did you ever have to decide on which sport to continue with? Yeah, I actually, um, I played lacrosse for over 10 years, and I was playing with my high school team in Victoria. I played for Claremont, and they had a pretty good lacrosse team, and um, I think I was in grade 10, and I mean, that's sort of when, like, universities start looking at athletes, and I mean... I wasn't like an unreal lacrosse player. I was good, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting looked at by like division one schools or anything. And rowing Canada had this program set up and it's called their like talent identification for their TID program, bring a bunch of rowing machines and they do some tests. And my uh, lacrosse coach, he sort of just told a bunch of the tall lacrosse team. He said, Hey, look, there's these people from rowing Canada here after school and uh, you guys have to go and try out for it. And yeah, I tried out with like half a dozen of my teammates and I was the only person they asked to try rowing. And um, I wasn't doing anything that summer. So they asked me or like Rowing Canada asked me to try out rowing, hitting some of the standards that they wanted, but I wasn't hitting all of them. So they said, you know, come out, try rowing for two months. You'll row, you know, three or four times a week and you'll just learn some of the basics. And then at the end of the summer, we'll evaluate you again and see if you got any better. So I did that. I rode throughout the whole summer and I got evaluated again at the end of the summer and then rowing very much. We don't want you. And then Albert, who's the coach at UVic, he was coaching one of the local clubs back then. And he said, well, just come row for me if you want. And so then I just started rowing for Albert. And I think I, I continued to play lacrosse for like the next six months. And then I sort of, I think I was in grade 11 and I just, decided that, you know, I was enjoying rowing more. I was enjoying the community at rowing a lot more than I was enjoying the lacrosse community. And I felt like I had a bit more potential to like go further in rowing. So I just slowly dropped from my club lacrosse team. And then I dropped from my high school team and my high school coach. He wasn't super happy with me because he had all these plans to like send me to all these like scouting tournaments in like Colorado and California and I just I just sort of dipped out and he was pretty bummed because he was the one who made me try out for rowing anyway. <laughs> oh wow. That's pretty good because Claremont's uh like the leading lacrosse program in Victoria, hey, for pumping out talent. Yeah, they're like one of the leading in Canada and in North America actually. Like wow. um my brother I have an older brother who played lacrosse. He played the full all the way through high school and yeah, he got a couple offers from like Division One schools, and like Claremont went down. And my brother's year, he's two years older than me. They just pretty much won every tournament they went to. And Claremont consistently, they pull athletes sort of from BC, and they just put together some pretty talented teams. What were you like as a lacrosse player? What was I like? I was yeah. a lot skinnier. Um, yeah, but I mean, I played midfield, so I did a lot of running. 
you've got defense, offense, and midfield. And I played sort of defensive midfield. I wasn't super talented offensively. But defense is just sort of like a system. You figure out the system, and then you just have to be analytical, and you have to communicate with your teammates. And then that's where I enjoyed it was defense. And it's a contact sport, so you got to, like, hit your opponents, which mm-hmm. uh, was something that I missed when I started rowing. Is that I, it couldn't be physical, right? You still and have all and you get to whack them as hard as you want with a little cross stick in the legs, and no one cares. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I played lacrosse, when I played box lacrosse, which is indoor, when you're on defense, when everybody's sort of like on offense, they don't have to have the ball for you to hit them. You can just hit them. This is just super aggressive. And um, you can get kind of sneaky about it. And one of the things that I got pretty good at was um, is when I'd step in to hit somebody, if you step on their toe, they can't step back with their foot. So you just flatten them immediately. <laughs> So you just hit them and they fall and then you've got tons of time. You did a great job. Wow. That's fantastic. I know every rower kind of has a different background and yours is obviously a lot different than Alex. We'll get into in just a little bit here, but it kind of seems like just from some of the few rowers we've had on the pod so far, maybe rowing is a sport that athletes kind of find later on in their development. Maybe they're not rowers at a younger age, but they find it in a middle school, high school age. Uh, as opposed to not too many people just walk onto the high school basketball team. Do you feel that the same way? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, um, rowing, at the end of the day, rowing, it comes down to, it's a very, like, basic skill, right? And there's a lot of nuances to that skill. But fundamentally, it's pretty simple, which is why I think people can jump into rowing so quickly. So, I mean, like, if you want to be an NHL hockey player, you, you pretty much have to start hockey when you're four or five yeah. and develop those skills over the next 10 to 12 to 15 years. Yeah. But in rowing, there's tons of people who start late. And, I mean, if you're fit and you can pick up the skill in a year or two, you have a really good chance to just – there's this one guy who rode for Canada back in 2012, and his name is Jeremiah Brown. And he wrote a book about it, but he, uh, he watched Canada win the men's eight in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And then he just went, I want to do that. And then he started rowing. He started training ridiculously hard. And then two years later, he uh, was like one of the top ranked rowers in Canada. Just oh, wow. because, this guy was huge. He was like 6'6", 230, <laughs> 240 pounds. He used to be a football player. And um, yeah, and then the next Olympics, four, you know, four years after he made his decision, he came home with a silver medal. Wow, that's, that's insane. Incredible. Obviously, your development, it escalated quite quickly in your second year you landed a seat on the varsity eight boat with the vikes not a common move but still kind of rare what did that mean for you to get in the varsity eight early in your career with the vikes i was really excited it was pretty cool it was a steep learning curve i mean when i joined the team in my freshman year uh when you come out when i came out of school i was um definitely one of the better guys on my high school rowing team and then um when I came to UVic, you know, I did a couple seat races in my first semester and I quickly you sort of get a reality check and I was not going to be anywhere near the 1B. I wasn't even in the 2B. I was sort of in the third varsity position, which was a bit of a gut check. And eventually, I don't know, I just sort of picked it up to try a bit harder. I had to realize that I, in first semester, I was getting really tired and I was obviously trying to take school seriously. So I'd miss a couple practices a week. And then second semester came around and I realized, you know, if I want to be competitive on the EVIC team, I've got to, I mean, I can't be missing practices. I've got to sort out my academic schedule and my athletic schedule. And then 
yeah, I mean, I slowly sort of got faster and faster. And then I spent that summer training with UVic. I got really lucky in my second year, to be totally honest. We had this one guy on the team who's probably our, our best rower named Christopher Marshall. And he had just finished his fourth year and he decided um, that he didn't want to come back for his fifth year. And that opened up a spot for me. I was lucky enough to, to win that spot. And then we had a really good year that year. We, we actually won the eight at national championships. Oh, right on. That's awesome. It's going to be a really cool experience for the first year. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was pretty great. So, Alec, we're going to put you in the hot seat now. Are you ready, man? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So, uh, we know you were actually pursuing a different sport in high school. So, tell us what you were doing. Yeah. So, in, in high school, I kind of, like, flitted around between um, all the, the basketball coach. I was, like, one of the tallest kids in my school. It was a small, fairly small school from a small town. And the basketball coach wanted me to come try off the team. I was like, I'm, I'm bad at hand-eye coordination sports. You don't want me there. And then uh, the volleyball coach asked me the same thing. And I said, I'm bad at hand-eye coordination sports. You don't want me there. <laughs> and, um, and then at this point, I was like, well, you know, I got to do something that I'm, I'm good at and that I enjoy. And, and I'd been cross-country skiing for since I was like seven years old. And basically from that point on, like I kind of got into like the later on stages of, a, of high school. And my cross-country coach was like, man, like if you're going to, if you keep seriously training like this and you, you, you keep doing the things you say you want to do, like you got to go somewhere after high school's over. You got to like take two years, take three years, take four years and like go to, go to one of the national training centers and try to train, train with them and like get better at skiing. So I graduated high school in 2014 and then took a two year gap year, um, which I thought, I didn't think it was going to, I thought it was going to be a bit longer, but it ended up being a bit shorter just because in those two years, I just found that like I was still growing, I was still getting bigger, and I was competing against guys who were like 150 to 160 pounds, and I was like at the lightest, the lightest I ever was after high school was 205, and I like could <laughs> not like for the life of me bring my weight down, and I was dieting all the time, I was getting super sick because my like my body was like, what are you doing? You need we need more weight like to just to sustain living. And, um, I finished my, well, my last ski season was in 2016. I raced my last, uh, races at nationals. And then I went on like a trip to the Yukon with my mother. And then I went like solo for a little bit. And then that fall I decided I'd wanted to come to UVic because my mom wrote at UVic and she's like, you should go to UVic. You need to go to school, you need to get a job, you need a degree. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. I'll do that. Right. And then when I, showed up at UVic I was like huh I haven't really tried this rowing thing before ever I was a total novice had never stepped up to boat had never held an oar and yeah it's kind of where it all started after my high school experience so you talked about how your mom kind of got you into it but I, I don't think you've like given credit to how good at rowing your mom actually was wasn't she a national rower and rowed in the Olympics yeah, my mom, she qualified for two Olympic games. She qualified for the 1981s in Moscow, which ended up being boycotted. So no one went. And then she qualified for the 1984 games in Los Angeles. She rode the single, the women's single both times, or would have, but would have rode it both times. Um, and she came fourth in 1984. That's so throughout so your entire bad. like childhood, you you have not <laughs> stepped foot in a boat yet. Your mom was an Olympic level rower. Yeah, yeah, she was like she was very much she was very much the kind of mother who was like you know like I did my thing, he's gonna do his own thing, and then lo and behold, I'm like 20 years old, and she's like you should probably do the thing I did because you're pretty big. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. I had no idea. I, I thought it was going to be a story like your mom had you rowing since you were like 10 years old. That, that, com- that was a complete surprise to me. Yeah. I, I was like, it, it was one of those things like we, where I lived in uh, up, up North Island, there was no rowing club. I was never like, she was like, she's the kind of person never really, we never really talked about it all that much until like I had like all her, her old friends would come up and be like, Oh my God, like your mom and I raced this race back in like the like 86 or in 79 or like all these different times periods across like 30, 40 years ago now. And, and I was just like, oh, man, I have no idea. She doesn't tell me any of this stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> so going from being a novice with absolutely no experience to going and captaining, captaining the team, what was that like? Oh man, it was, um, the progression from like in that, I kind of like thinking about it that year by year kind of steps and steps is as a novice, you show up and you, you know, nothing and everyone makes sure to let you know that you know nothing because being a member, I think of, especially of our team. And I think Travis can really attest to this is like, there are guys who, who know what's going on and there are guys who have literally no idea what's going on, but the guys who don't know what's going on still have something to follow and something to do. And like, there's still a chance for them to understand. They just might not get like all the information all at once. And so being a novice for me, it was like, I remember just kind of doing my first bit of racing in my first year, we went to Burnaby and uh, raced against a bunch of other crews like UBC crew, novices, some guys from like Edmonton, I think. And I think we came second in that race. And then in my second race, which was like another week, a week or two later was at head of the gorge. And I, I broke part of the boat. And right before we launched, Albert had come up to our crew and had been like, don't break anything on this boat. I will <laughs> sack you off the team if you do. And then we, we launched and there's a video somewhere out there on Facebook of seven guys rowing through underneath the gorge and arrow straight and me just holding my oar in my lap because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I was like, well, I'll just sit here, I guess, and let them do all the work. Oh man! Wow, That's too good. That's yeah, so and funny. then we, yeah, hitting the do- or hitting the shore after that, and Albert walked up to me and and just put his arm on my shoulder, and he's like, "What did I tell you? I thought I told you not to bust anything." And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, "I, don't know. I don't know what to say." <laughs> oh man! But in terms of the growth from year to year to year, and and going from like being a novice to to eventually becoming the team captain was just like wanting to understand more of the team, and because I didn't know anything. I'm one of those, like, I'm, I find myself being, I'm one of those athletes where I hate not knowing stuff and I hate not, or I hate seeing someone learn something and me being like, man, like, why, why can't I learn that right now? Or why can't I figure out that skill yet? And so it was a lot of just even like talking to guys like Trav, Adam Donaldson, Dan R. Scott, Mark Davies, like guys like that, who were just like, they were all captains at, at the time and, or had been captains and just like trying to understand, like, how can I get better? What can I do? And just like making sure that every time I came to practice was like beating a guy who was in either the varsity boat or in the JV boat, just because like I didn't want to be a novice anymore. So Alec, one thing we know about you is that you love quotes and quotes of the day. Uh, Do you have any favorites that, uh, yeah, do you have any favorites that got you through those tough years of going through the the tides of improving and rowing? Hmm, Honestly, let me just have a look. I had a really good one not too long ago that I'm uh, (laughs) So while Alex is doing this, let's just provide some background here. So Alex subscribes to an email that sends him a quote of the day every day. That's a motivational quote. And uh, I like that. I like worker. So Larissa also used to get these quotes of the day and she'd read them out every day and they're absolute garbage. They're probably some of the worst <laughs> quotes that I've ever heard in my entire life. 
And it's like deciphering code, listening to it, like trying to figure out what they mean sometimes. Alec, didn't you start listening to these quotes from like, didn't Dan Arscott get you onto it? Yeah, yeah, Dan, Dan and I, this is Dan, Dan was like, he came to practice one morning, walked in all cheery and everyone was like so tired and just like kind of pissed. Like, oh my God, why are we at practice? And, and Dan's like, hey guys, what's going on? And we're like, oh man, like shut up, dude. Like you're so <laughs> cheery right now. Why? I read these, this thing called quote of the day. You got to start following it. And I was like, I wanted to be Dan's friend so bad. I was like, yep, done. Boom. <laughs> 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 oh man just wanted to be his friend yeah it's literally probably it's all how it really stemmed to be honest this isn't not a quote of the day but i do have i do have a favorite quote that i got actually from one of the guys who i used to row with but it's a bit more of uh it's not as like or th- this is this is a good one actually this is a quote about optimism we have enough people who tell it like it is now we could use a few more who tell it like it can be <laughs> that's the level of okay. stuff we're getting every day okay <laughs> so philosophical yeah right. that's a deep some, one some of it's and there's like there's like each week there's like different one week's about wisdom one week's about courage one week's about all sorts of different avenues you got coming at you yeah i well, love I, it i think i'm gonna subscribe oh i don't know tyler it's a slippery slope <laughs> alec i want to ask you about something else bako mayo chap uh, oh yeah larissa has told us about this and uh she actually told me that you were the inventor of it so can you explain it and where it came from yeah actually it's it's probably one of the greatest food things i've ever eaten and it's good on it's good on burgers it's good on fries and there's a company we haven't been able to find the it's bacon aioli that was made by a company in Cowichan bay and we can't find it anymore you could only buy it at peppers for some reason it's not on the shelves anymore i don't know why and then you take the bacon aioli and you take some ketchup and like a little bit of mayonnaise and you mix it all together and it would just create the most unreal little package of sauce for whatever you wanted to eat it with. Oh, it was un- unbelievable. It was so good. Have you yeah. ever attempted it on a sandwich? Obviously, it sounds like something good for a burger, but I'm curious, like the bacon aioli and mayo, but I'm a little nervous on the ketchup part. Have you ever tried it on a sandwich? Mm, not on a, like maybe it would be, I could see it being good on a grilled cheese, but not yeah. on like, not on like a traditional hand. Oh, we lost him. <laughs> oh, I'm back. I'm back. I made it. <laughs> oh man. You froze at the funniest like face position. It was great. <laughs> was I just like, <laughs> yeah, you're out to lunch. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> well anyways we we talk about food every single episode of the show i don't know how it happens but tyler let's get back on the rowing train here oh yeah sure so i want to get into the chemistry within the boat but i just want to go back a little bit to alex's uh career as a cross-country skier you said you were at 205 is that not super heavy for cross-country skiing oh yeah it's super duper heavy it's like it's i mean i was i was weighing 50 60 pounds heavier than every other guy and when you got to race up hills and down hills i'm carrying like a third of their weight on yeah. top of me up the hill and it's just uh, it was it was not a good time these guys are ripping by me and they're like 145 pounds and i was just like looking i'm just yeah i can't even i can't stand it <laughs> wait so like you said you were 205 at your lightest having met you when you joined the rowing team what were you at your heaviest when you were <laughs> I, was, I was a i was a prime 245 <laughs> oh my goodness yeah, yeah. on oh skis no i basically i finished skiing and took about six months eight months off to just party and then got showed up to rowing and everyone was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> to party and eat apparently yeah 
Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you for letting me go back there. But like I mentioned, we want to dive into team chemistry here. To us outsiders, we're fairly unaware of the importance of each seat in the varsity eight. Travis, you, I believe you sat in the eight this year. Alec, he sat in the six. Can you guys explain the differences or the roles for those two seats? Yeah, so um, the eight, especially the one that we raced at CU's, it was actually Alec was in stroke seat, which is like eight seat. Okay. And I was right behind him. I was in seven seat. And I've okay. raced, I raced seven seat a lot. So it's, um, it's a starboard seat traditionally. And so that's the side that I rode. And I sort of raced seven seat. I raced it in my second year and in my third year and my fourth year and in my fifth year. <laughs> and seven seat, it's one, one of the ways you can think about it is seven seat and eight seat. They sort of have to function as a pair. And so their job is to like, you know, set a rhythm down for the boats. So they've got a row nice and long. They've got a row clean. And quite often, you don't have to put your powerhouses in those boats, but you want to put down some of your guys with a little bit more finesse, some people who can sort of feel the stroke a little bit more. So sometimes it's people who uh, have been rowing for a little bit longer, who are a bit more experienced, and somebody who can, somebody who understands the way that a boat runs. There's like some rowers who can be really, really powerful, and they can just like push a boat down the course, but they sort of not having the boat move in sort of a smooth a smooth way so eight seat and seven seat which is the stroke pair you want them to have a pretty smooth stroke you guys also have rode pairs in the past now i guess it doesn't matter pairs or eight have you guys ever had an experience where someone in front of you or behind you in the boat just smelled really bad oh yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I rode before I rode a pair with Alec the year before I rode with Dan Arscott and Dan actually didn't smell that bad. But I, <laughs> I sat in the front of the boat. So but we faced backwards. So right. when I farted, which <laughs> I farted a lot, and Dan would, would he'd, have a, he'd have a rough time with it. And um, especially when we do when we do like high rate pieces, so pieces where we're like really working hard and you know you get a little bit nauseous because you're you're just trying so hard and then if i farted then you'd start to <laughs> gag um, oh no but i mean I, I normally the guys don't smell too bad i mean i don't think so did, did anybody on the team smell that bad alec not necessarily in terms of like really i don't even i don't remember a lot of guys who would smell like bad smells but there would always be sometimes one guy up in bow and you would hear from Bowsy, he would fart, and then you would just hear it come down the whole boat like, oh, eh, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, and it would like, and it would get all the way down, and you'd be sitting in stroke seat. Or I, I remember one time I was sitting in stroke seat, and Riley Russell was our coxswain, and he looked out like this, and he looked back at me, and he's like, someone farted, it's coming at you, it's going to smell really bad. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, and it was just immediately like this awful smell. And it was just like, uh, like a semi-fair amount of the time, it was probably Trav. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. I was hoping to get names there. That's fantastic. I mean, aside from other than just farting all over everybody, I'm sure there's a lot of synchronization and working together that must go into making a strong varsity eight boat. Does having a great brotherhood with the guys, does that make for faster times and better races? I think so, yeah. I remember in my second year, before our Brown Cup race, Dan Arscott was, I think he was one of the assistant captains on the team, and our varsity was just struggling a little bit. Just the personalities weren't sort of matching up very well. And so Dan 
I mean, his solution to it was um, him and two of the other guys, they went out and got matching tattoos. And then they organized um, this like big team dinner for the varsity eight. I think it was Alex first rowing. So he wasn't there for that dinner, but we just got together and we, I don't know, we just, I think they made Dan and this other guy, Ty made pierogies and it was just like a bonding night. And we, we had dinner in like Ty's family house and we sat around his big dining room table and sort of just hung out and chatted. And that was definitely like a big bonding moment for our boat. And then from there, it was a little bit of like a TSN turning point. And we just started clicking a lot better. I mean, having the personalities match up, have everybody in the same way, it's really important to have a boat, you know, succeed. Because when people start bickering, it can be pretty rough. I spent one summer rowing for the under 23 team in Canada and we were in an eight and there were a couple of personalities that just bickered the whole thing. It didn't really, we weren't as successful as we thought we could have been. And I think part of it could be attributed to that. So when we were able to see you guys at CU's walk out for that eight and you guys were all super locked in. So how do you guys get fired up before a big race? For me personally, like when it comes down to race days and, and, and big moments, all that kind of stuff. Like I think like I learned fairly early on from, from skiing and especially in my first two years of rowing, you got to treat those moments like with the care and respect of it. This is a big moment. This is big for me. Like I'm not just going to kind of throw the kitchen sink at it, but I also need to remain calm and I need to, I need to know what works for me. And so from my first year rowing to now, like I, I can really understand where and basically when and how I need to act in the morning, what I need to eat, what music I need to listen to, how I should be feeling. If I don't feel a certain way, how can I get that feeling? What thoughts do I need to think to like really get fired up? And it's totally different for every guy. But what I think what makes rowing so amazing is that regardless of how each guy gets fired up or what he needs to do for himself, the moment his hands touch the boat and the moment the boat leaves the dock, it's all about what we do as a collective unit. And Mm -hmm. it's not about individuality and it's not about listening or working for just one guy or hearing that call for that one guy and being like, now we got to go because this guy's dying or like he like feels like he's going to pass out. Like it's, it's not about yourself and it's very, it's very selfless and the cohesion that you can get from those moments and like practicing those, those moments on the water of just, we must work together, I think is what makes rowing so special. Todd, what do you do to get fired up? Man, I'm not really a huge music guy. So, I mean, for me, it was just, I don't know. I just get up a little bit earlier, make sure I have like my, my food prepped out. I was always really particular, but like when I was eating my food, it was always like three and a half hours before race time was when I needed to be done my meal. So like, so I could be sure that I was fully digested. And then I mean, get to the course early and then a lot of like visualizing the race. But I mean, I, yeah, I wasn't a music guy. Sort of never in my rowing career did I sit down with like my playlist and put my headphones in before race. That was, it just wasn't me. I just get to the course early, soak up the atmosphere. Cause I mean, when it's regatta time, it's always a little bit different. It's exciting. And so I sort of wanted to like acclimatize, you know, you show up to regatta and you say hi to all your friends that are on the other teams that you're going to be competing against. And then you just have to lock in after that. And I don't know. That was pretty much all I did. I just sort of tried to do my best to treat it like any other day and just be focused up. 
Man, by the sounds of it, with you ripping farts, I think you should have probably finished your meal four hours before the race time. <laughs> well, racing was different than practicing. Practicing, I would just like shovel food down whenever I had time. And <laughs> That's fair. The racing, I like treated it with some respect, but practicing was a little different. <laughs> okay, so we, you guys mentioned earlier about some tattoos. So I know that on the rowing team, there's a little bit of a tradition surrounding tattoos. Do you guys want to talk about that? Alec, do you want to sure. talk about it? Yeah, well, yeah, Trav, Trav started it with those those three guys. Story goes, yeah, they went out, they got the tattoos, they showed them to everybody in the boat, and then it kind of became this whole thing. Like, there's no there's no pressure on it, there's no there's no requirements, there's nothing from any form of the leadership down that says like this is you have to do this. But it's in a way like it. I personally like when I got mine, I was like, man, like you like walk in the changer in the morning, and you're like, and everyone you like post-practice everyone's showering together and you're kind of like okay there's like probably like 15 dudes in this room that all have we all all got the same tattoo and it's just like it's funny and it's builds character together and it's just like creates good camaraderie i think like you know like when and it's there's because there's nothing around like that's we don't have a thing that says like you have to wait to get it or like and it's not it has nothing to do with effectively it's not hazing or anything like that it's all up to the individual person but when you do get it and there are some, and the guys who do, who, who have it and who don't have it, no one's treated any differently. But when you do get it, it's kind of like, you're like, oh yeah. And in my mind, I see this and I'm like, man, I'm going to come back in like 30, 40 years and be like, oh yeah. Is this still, is this still going on? Like, is, is this still a thing? And they'll be like, oh shit, yeah, it is. And we'll both, you know, roll up on uh, and show each other our tattoos. So uh, for the listeners, what are the tattoos and where do you guys get them? Oh man, I don't do I wanna like give it all away. I don't know if I wanna give it all away, but we can uh, we can keep it a secret if you guys want to keep it down low. Yeah. I think all I'll give it is it's a lightning bolt and that's about it. All right. All right, yeah. we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. Sounds like you guys have some interesting ways to bond. Are there any other weird or funny ways that you guys form these great friendships that you guys are able to share on this podcast? That's a good question. I mean, I know a lot of the guys live together. I'm a local, so I actually spent my whole sort of university rowing career just living at home. But I mean, a lot of the guys get really close because they spend like every minute together. They live together. Some some of them are in the same program, so they help each other study and stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty similar uh, across a bunch of the athletic teams, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. One time, this is a little a little different. One of the ways that Alec was bonding with um, the previous captain they discovered that sort of like negative space behind your nose and they started sending out videos to everybody of they'd grab a hammer and a nail and they'd nail this they'd oh. hammer it hammer the nail into their nose what they like put it like put it like two or three inches into their like sinuses oh my god like, can you still do that yeah so it was like prepping for covid testing you just like go right <laughs> back through there Oh my god, I did not Holy expect that. Smokes. <laughs> That's um, like a freak show. Yeah. In terms of like actual where I'm from, like up island, like I'm from like this like outdoor lodge kind of where I grew up. And we would go up there or we we've started now this kind of like camp tradition where every spring break for university athletes in February we go up to this camp for like a week and we just chill out on this lake. We're the only ones there. And we just like eat food that gets supplied to us by the people at the camp. And then we just like row every day. And there's just like, there's a sauna, there's trails you can go hiking on. There's a huge eating room, like a cafeteria kind of. 
Uh, the place is called Strathcona Park Lodge. If anyone doesn't want to go and check it out, it's an unbelievable place. But basically, it's just like one of those times when you get together outside of school and the only thing you're doing is rowing. And you only the only thing you're really thinking about is rowing. You, go, you basically wake up in the morning, you're hanging out with the guys, you go to practice, you come back, you nap, you go out for your second row in the afternoon or a second workout, and then you have dinner in the evening, and then you just kind of just like shoot the shit with each other and, and just hang out. So would that be the same place you guys, the team goes on these trips to Strathcona each year? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Those trips look like a, a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit more about those trips and what it means for your team. I think like it's in terms of what it means for the team is it's a chance to get outside, get out of Victoria and go to a place where there's zero distractions and you can just be like on the water. There's no cell service up there. So basically everyone's social media is not in effect. Everyone's kind of, you got to work together. You got to get along with the people who are you're in, in your cabin with. It's a big bonding experience for a lot, for a lot of guys. And I think that, when I first got onto the team, like we weren't doing a ton of those camp scenarios and like in terms of bonding and like learning a lot about each other and, and what makes good rowing good. It was, it's the, the camp for certainly has like changed my perspective on how a team should function and like basically work together. So obviously when you're having those cool bonding experiences and chemistry experiences, there's some funny stories that come out of it. And I know that you guys probably have some good Strathcona ones. So let's hear uh one of the best Strathcona stories that you guys have. Mm. Well, I can tell you guys one that can't go on the podcast, <laughs> but but it, 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 we'll have to save that for another time then. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, I wish I could. I wish I could help out, but the uh, I actually was never able to go on the Strathcona camp because uh, one year I was doing a training camp with rowing Canada. And then this year I was super excited. I was supposed to go. And then, and then I got mono. So I didn't row for like six weeks. Oh man. I couldn't be around the guys because we were going to be living in close quarters and like using the same dishes and stuff. So I just had to stay home. So you went from having mono to everything shut down for COVID. So you just like your whole (laughs) last, last semester of rowing was just wiped essentially. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really interesting. I sort of I trained unknowingly with Mono for like three or four weeks. I kept on missing practices because I just thought I was getting a cold or something. And then, uh, yeah, I think I was sort of like training on and off with Mono for like three weeks, and then I found out I had Mono and had to take like a chunk of time off. And then I rode for about two weeks, and we like we had a regatta, and then it all shut down again. <laughs> Oh man, that's too bad. Yeah. Okay, so we'll leave the Strathcona thing. If a story does come up, though, make sure you interject and let us know. But we're going to move on to a fun little game to get to know some of the teammates better. So we like to play a little game here, kind of similar to yearbook superlatives or like grad most likely twos in a way. So what we do is I'm going to ask you a certain like, who is most likely to do this? And then you guys just like rack through the roster, think about it. You can throw in a few alumni there if you'd like as well. Just let us know who stands out for these things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first one, most likely to be late to an early morning practice. Yeah, Dan Arscott, 100%. That guy, that guy in, his, in his last semester of rowing, he was literally, it was probably like two weeks before Brown Cup, and he was late for an entire week straight by like almost 15 minutes. Like we couldn't, we had to wait to launch the boat for him to show up. So do you guys yeah. chew out the person that's late to practice? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah, totally. We, we just, you give him such a hard time and Dan had like such a bad streak. Like you knew that like a couple times a semester, Dan wasn't just going to be late. He was just not going to waste. And then we would warm up and we'd wait for him to show up. And if he wasn't there by the end of warm up, Albert would call him and Dan had just slept through his alarm or he forgot to set it. So then Dan would show up, you know, like 35 minutes late. <laughs> that, I mean, it, it was never intentional. But I mean, yeah, geez, you just grill them. So, Trav, now, we also heard that despite living pretty close to the lake, you had your fair share of being late here yeah. and there as well, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I live about at 5 a.m. It's probably a two-minute drive from my house to the lake, which is dangerous because then you just you just keep on giving yourself more time and more time. When I was on time, I had a system worked out where I'd get practice with at 5.45, I'd wake up at 527. All of my rowing clothes would be laid out the night before. And I'd just slide them on, throw on a pair of sweatpants and a hoodie. And like, I'd have all my bags packed and I'd just grab them and walk out the door. And when I didn't have all of that stuff set up, I would be late. <laughs> there was, there was a brief period of time where I would go to bed in my rowing. I'd put on clean rowing clothes before oh, bed wow, wow. so that I wouldn't have to change in the morning. Oh, but it wasn't very comfortable. I guess you do what you got to do and you got to practice at 545. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> we also heard that you would make other teammates late because they'd be stuck behind you and you'd be driving so slow to practice in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that before. I heard that before. I was, all, I was going at least 10 over the speed limit, pretty much wherever I was going. And other guys were a little bit more hurried than I was. I think <laughs> maybe I valued my own personal safety more than they did. There's nothing yeah, wrong with that. So who is most likely to puke after pulling a 2K? Mark Davies. <laughs> yeah, I remember once Mark Davies, Mark. <laughs> he graduated about two years ago. He had a, a meeting with Albert, and then they had practice after that. So we went by Mystic and grabbed a bunch of pizza, and he got like halfway through the workout before he started puking. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. Mark would <laughs> – before the 2K would even start, Mark would be puking. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> the whole thing with him. Oh, man. I remember we, we did a race, or like a, a Brown Cup simulation race called for like our Charlie's uh, series. And we were like sitting in the start line, waiting, ready to go. And Mark look, turns around and looks at me. And he's like, he's like, you're probably not going to wash. So I'm like, what? And I was literally my first year of rowing. And he just leans over the side of the boat. And he yaks, and I was like, oh my god, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so he sounds like the Chunder King. Is there a Chunder Prince on the horizon? Any of the young guys? <clears throat> what about Luke Brodeur? I remember when we were filming <laughs> that video, I was just talking to him about 2Ks, and he was about to pull in with the rest of the team. And he, I guarantee you I puked tomorrow. And I went down to the, the practice or training session the next day, and Luke was just in those bushes. Outside the air room, he's like, Hey, Ty, I told you I'd puke. Check it out. Like, oh, Open his own tire because he's puking. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's so cool, Luke. Nice job. <laughs> Luke funny. is like special breed of person. He's a phenomenal rower, an amazing teammate to have. But he's just like got some sort of switch in his mind where like he sits down to do a piece and he's like, I'm just going to do it as hard as I possibly can. And then lots of other people like myself included, sometimes it's really hard to motivate yourself to do that because you know how much it's going to hurt. 
but Luke could just sit down and it didn't matter how much it was going to hurt. He just focused on like just putting everything into it. And uh, yeah, I guess Luke spent a lot of practices at the end, like just with his head, like in the bushes around the garden behind the erg room. And he would, oh man, he'd blow, he'd blow us out of the water on erg. Like he beat us by like 20 or 30 seconds sometimes. And if you ever meet the kid, he's way shorter than Alec and I, like he's a pretty like big kid. Mm-hmm. Not like, like he shouldn't. Just based on his size, he shouldn't be able to compete with Alec and I. Yeah, he's five eleven on a good day. Yeah, and but man, he had. I think he's got. He's got one of the best. I think he's got the second or third best erg score on Uvix team ever. And then while we were there, he had his entire time he was on the team. A, a different kind of guy, a great teammate mm-hmm. to have. Such a nice guy too. You gotta give somebody mm-hmm. credit who goes that hard that they puke almost every practice. I love that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would he would go yeah so far into the paint. It was it was unbelievable every time. <laughs> Both Tyler and I work out at Carsa, and every so often our our workouts overlap with when you guys have part of the weight rooms to yourselves. And one of the funniest things is just hearing you guys screaming at each other. Some days it's great. Other days it just sucks. But who's most likely to fire up the boys in the weight room? Yeah, it was though we at first we were getting in trouble a little bit, and there was a bit of time where we're like, okay, like we can't be as loud, we can't be as loud. And then, and then I remember there was one day where someone came over, someone who worked in Carsa came over and told Nick Clark that they're like they're like those guys like they have to stop yelling. And Nick's like, okay, 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 gotcha, gotcha. And then, or it might not have been Nick. It was one of our strength coaches and they kind of like, they looked at me and I was like, I don't know, like what, like, you know, what's, what's the whole, what's the whole idea on this? And they're like, look, do it, do whatever you guys want to do. And after that moment, it was just full on, let's go. Who cares anymore at this point? We're just slapping everybody in the back. You're just trying to get the boys fired up to like rip some weights. (laughs) Yeah. I think two of the guys who yelled the most were like Ty Adams would yell a lot. He'd just like get people really excited. And then Alex Sawyers too. Um, Those two guys would, if they saw somebody that, you know, somebody's, you know, getting ready for like a 320 pound deadlift. They're like, okay, yeah, we need to get this guy excited. I saw Alex Sawyers in that exact circumstance. I think it was one of the novice guys and trying to like pull three times his weight. And <laughs> Sawyers is like leaning over, hands on his thighs, screaming yeah. in this kid's ear. And you can hear like down past all the bench presses. It was insane. But he was just Yeah, he started to get so to loud. this position, right? And then yeah. you can like see like the veins on his neck start to go. He just gets so into it. Oh, big time. In the so, weight room, in the air room. Who is the most likely to strut around Carsa in their racing uniform or racing kit? Ooh, I don't think we've got a lot of kit, but racing kit is a is a bit special. You don't wear racing kit unless it's race day. So okay. no, nobody's walking around in their race kit. If they do, they got Albert would tell them to go home and change. <laughs> And so would pretty much anybody else on the team. Like you don't wear your race kit around. That's like, it's something special. It's something that you hold on to. I think the only time you're allowed to wear your race kit when it's not race day is if you go to like world championships and you know, you can train in your racing uni there and sort of show it off to the world. Be like, Hey, I wrote for you, Vic. I'm proud of it. You guys should come check out what we do. Wow. That's a big deal. I didn't realize there was that kind of tradition around it. Good to know. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's actually been like that for quite a while. I think that tradition is, is pretty old. Okay. So we got a good one here. So who's the most likely to sacrifice aerodynamics in the boat for good hair? 
Alex Sawyer's. Yeah, Alex Sawyer's, 100%. <laughs> oh, is there like a couple runners up? Because that was a pretty easy answer for you guys. Jacob Phillips? Yeah, I could see Phillips doing it. Yeah. I would say maybe uh, maybe Adam Miller. He's a lightweight on the team. When he first showed up, he had some pretty like long walks, and he kept them for a long time, and he still got pretty long hair. You know, he does it up. It looks nice. But I think uh, conversely, we have a lot of guys on the team. I think one year we had three bald guys in the boat. Yeah. We had uh, we had Brett Larson. He started to go – the entire time I knew Brett, he was bald. Because he just started to bald a little bit, so he just shaved it all off. And then Shim went through the same phase. He started to bald a little bit, so he shaved it all off. And then Ty Adams, I think he, he got a compliment on his haircut once that made him uncomfortable. So he just he just got a buzz cut after that. <laughs> oh, wow. So off. funny. <laughs> so you mentioned Sawyer. So how long do you think Sawyer's hair routine is in the morning? I could imagine taking 20 minutes. Like he's got a shower, then he's got a moose it and blow dry it and then <laughs> yeah. put some gel in afterwards. I don't I imagine. I don't know. Yeah. Full I, blow dry. Yeah. That, that guy, uh, definitely not a short amount of time for the old, for the luscious locks for sure. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different here, but who's the most likely to be a politician from the team? Oh, Trav, we heard that you're the one that always tries to calm down heated discussions between teammates and coaches and teammates. I suppose. I think, uh, I mean, I can get wrapped up in it a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. When I think of, uh, when I think of politicians, I also, I think of um, Alex Sawyers and Ty Adams again, because they're very outspoken guys and, you know, they've got their beliefs and they're very good at, you know, giving speeches and sort of communicating what they believe to the guys. I think Sawyers is going to pursue a career in business and he'll be good at that because he can talk to just about anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, Man, nobody on the team. Well, you know what? Um, there's one guy who just who graduated a couple years ago, Adam Donalds, and he's trying to become a lawyer right now. And I think he would make an excellent politician. Respectable guy. We're going to jump on to a couple more is most likely to. So one thing that we've also heard is, obviously, if you're getting up early, there's some boys that probably aren't the happiest in the morning, not morning people, some grumpy boys. So who are the grumpiest teammates to interact with in the morning? Alex Staff. <laughs> what? <laughs> there was there was one day earlier this earlier oh, this year where we were we showed up to an erg and I don't remember what the workout is. I imagine it was probably going to be kind of tough. And Alex was, he was just in a bad mood. He didn't want to be up. He was tired. He probably had some papers due. And um, one of the other captains, the assistant captain, he went, "Hey, Alex, you look you look like you're having a tough morning. Do you want a hug?" <laughs> I swear to God, if you try to hug me, I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) And then Ben Ben decided that he was going to go and hug Alec. And then then about three or four of us all sort of joined in with Ben so that Alec couldn't throw us all off. We just had a nice nice group hug. And Alec started yelling. He started having a fit outside of the erg room. (laughs) He was shoving guys off him. And we were just trying to hug him. We were just trying to make his morning better. Is that Ben Wallace that went in for the hug? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, just the kindest guy, too. Just the friendliest guy. Yeah, he, like, he looked at me like those big puppy dog eyes, and he's like, hey, man. And I was like, Ben, <laughs> ben I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, that's actually fair. I've, ha- I've had my fair share of mornings where I've been, like, ready to just flick a switch. So are there, uh, oh, God, are there some guys <laughs> that are roommates but will choose to, like, drive individually to practice because they don't want to have to deal with talking to the other person in the morning? Oh, Alex and Ty would do that, yeah. Oh, yeah, they would. 
yeah they would like sometimes sometimes they would drive together and then and then other times like i mean it made sense because of school too like you're on different school schedules but like there's also like you could sometimes see like post practice especially like you you have if, if practice was kind of hard that day even if like not and not just those two especially not just them but other people would be like man like I'd, i like guys would come up to me and they'd be like hey can you drive me home and i'm like your house is literally like 10 minutes away from mine and you live with other rowers why am i driving you home and they're like dude i just i can't and i'm like okay fine like whatever <laughs> that's fair i guess i guess if you're trying to come down from a difficult practice especially when you're probably a bit pissed off with some of the guys the last thing you want to do is sit in the car with them yeah yeah normally people when people leave the boathouse like the last thing you want to talk about is that practice or, some, or even specifically just rowing. I just like, for me, like when I started rowing, like I knew like I was never going to live with any other rowers. I live with guys who I went to high school with from Campbell river. Yeah. That's smart. Last one here. Who is most likely to try stand up comedy? I Adam. <laughs> yeah. Ty. Uh, we have this, we have this tradition without getting too much into it. We have uh, this, this little like get together and um we call it uh tailgate time with ty and uh it's a bunch of freshmen they come around and they hang out with ty and ty just tells them a bunch of stories oh my God. we do that every year <laughs> that ty he tells a couple of his stories and then he encourages some of the new guys on the team to share some stories that the team might enjoy um so yeah and um there was also another guy rob hodgins and he uh rob and i were in an english degree together so we had a couple and Rob was just the most amazing storyteller. He grew up in Surrey. And so he had some pretty like wild stories about, uh, about Surrey and just sort of some of the sketchy stuff that goes on there. And um, he'd tell his story and you're like on the edge of your seat. It's like you're reading a novel. And, um, and every once in a while he would like throw in, he'd throw in words that were just beyond everybody else's vocabulary. He's, he started one story and he was, I think he said the word precipice. And I, all of us were like, what? What does this mean? I love that. That's funny. There's nothing like a guy that can captivate a room. Yeah. Yeah, Rob is going to play that. Okay, so this year is obviously going to be different for you guys. There's no competing. There's probably going to be lots of time spent in the erg room and the weight room. It's likely that you're going to have a lot of free time on your hands, especially you, Travis. So mm-hmm. what are some hobbies that you're going to take up this year or existing interests that you're going to focus on? I mean, for me, I, um, I just graduated, so I'm done rowing with UVic. And for the next year, I'm just sort of working. And, I mean, what I've been doing so far is, um, well, I filled up a lot of my time with work. And a, a nice hobby that I'm uh, exploring is what it's like to have a significant other, uh, like, okay. a, like a girlfriend oh. or something, because I haven't had time for that in a while. But, I mean, Good also... Choice. Um, Good choice. <laughs> like, I like sketching nothing crazy and then also i mean i i still i still want to work out so i've been going to the gym a lot more and just lifting lifting weights and i sort of have some some new sort of athletic uh some athletic goals that i'm like pursuing like i want to get you know goals that i want like i want to be able to bench press like 90 pounds stuff like that and then i want to be able to run 10k in 40 minutes i have some like new athletic goals that uh were a little bit harder to train for with rowing because especially with rowing it was kind of like a struggle to consume enough calories and you know find time to do everything with my new time i'm sort of just enjoying my my new hobbies i guess has it been nice to stay away from erg machines yeah i haven't touched one since i left <laughs> good for you nice lesson staff what about you 
Yeah, I've been, um, when I was in grade, I think grade seven or eight, my parents bought me a guitar because I told them I wanted to learn guitar. I looked at it, worked on it for about a week or two, and then decided it was stupid because I wasn't, and I had enough, didn't have enough patience to try to learn it. And so then throughout this quarantine, basically in April, I went home to visit my family for a while after exams was over, and I grabbed my guitar, and I was like, I'm going to take this back to Victoria, and I'm going to make myself learn some stuff on this thing. And so that's what I've been just trying to, using the guitar to try to get um, get better at playing music. Other things I've been doing, like trying to start building like small coffee tables for people, building like benches for like backyards, that kind of thing. Yeah, not a plug or anything like that. But if anybody wants me to build them a bench or a coffee table, I most certainly will. <laughs> a good little craftsman. For a actually uh, agreed upon amount of cash. <laughs> Nothing. I was just saying that I came up with another thing that I've actually uh, started doing. Um, for Christmas, one of my one of my high school buddies, he got me a Dungeons and Dragons starter kit, and so oh, I'm gonna nice. get <laughs> invested in some D and D. And apparently there's like, there's like platforms online where you can like, you know, put together like parties and stuff and uh, play Dungeons and Dragons online. And so I've been getting started in that. I've been going through the the manuals on how to play. It's a surprisingly complex game. So I'm kind I of played something similar and it's actually that. so much fun. Like once you get into the characters and stuff, it's a really good time. Yeah. yeah. Liam and I also have a couple suggestions of some potential new hobbies for you guys. And we want to get your reaction to these. So would either you take up knitting no, but I know Dan has. <laughs> has he really? Uh, no, I, I don't want to take up knitting. My grandma knits, and I have so much knitted clothing and so many pairs of slippers. Oh, I, slippers I, would be nice. I've got, yeah, I've got enough knitted clothing to last me for the rest of my life. Well, if your grandma's looking to knit some slippers, I'm a nine and a half. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, what about swimming? Alec, I can't imagine at, at least 205, you're the most agile swimmer. I'm actually a pretty good swimmer. I'm not, I'm not right. gonna lie to you, but uh, I actually yeah, there's a good good. There's a actually got a story about swimming in terms of there's a time and I think I was in second year and Ty and I were sitting down at Tim Hortons one morning and Ty was like or he looked at some of the guys. I think it was Mark and Adam we were with and maybe Dan and he's like, who do you think would win a swim race between me and Alec? And I just said me. And I was like, without a doubt, I will beat you no matter what. Name the time, name the place. And then they're kind of like okay, like, how about McKinnon Pool at, like, 10.30? And we're like, oh, shit, okay, all right, let's go, let's do this. And, um, yeah, we went and we did, like, a 50-meter race in the McKinnon Pool. Yeah, and I, I, I beat him. It was, like, close, but you definitely beat him. Yeah, it was, it was really close, though. Well, if you're nice. looking to get a Speedo for your swimming adventures, I know the rugby guys have a few sitting around. Yeah, yeah, I still seen some photos. I don't know how to uh, get too super, super into the speedo look, but you know, maybe I'm not like that European. Something that I'm getting into: cooking more gourmet meals. Are either you two really good cooks? I don't know. I mean, I I live at home, and so pretty much I'm not. My mom, my parents don't make me my meals. I just want to throw that out there. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I make my own meals. Definitely at the beginning of quarantine, I had a lot more time. So I was doing like some like cheese twisted breads. And then I did, Ooh, nice. um, and then I did like a cinnamon loaf, like not cinnamon bun, but like a cinnamon bread just with cinnamon yeah, yeah. swirls yeah. in it. That's and good. I was uh, experimenting around with like, um, like eggs benedict, but you do it over like a bed of like spinach and onions and garlic and stuff. Oh, that sounds oh, good. Instead of like wow. over a biscuit. Yeah. Nice. That's, those are the, the, the few things that I was sort of doing over quarantine. I mean, that's about it. 
Alec, I hear that you're uh, quite the master of making a good ratatouille. Oh, yeah. I'm not a massive... Like, I like cooking when I'm cooking for other people. And, like, I don't... But, like, if it's cooking for myself, like, I'm majority of the time will just make, like, pasta sauce and, like, throw some meat into it or chicken or sauces or something like that. Like, I'm pretty simple and I'm not, like... I don't try to make, like, a huge bother when I'm cooking for myself. But if, I, if there's, like, other people or, like, other things kind of going on or, like, some sort of, like, like dinner party or something like that like i will definitely brush out the cooking skills and, and whip something up that that tastes good and hopefully doesn't taste like garbage are you guys a couple of grill masters uh i like to think so <laughs> <laughs> i mean um a couple of years ago when we were training alec and i we weren't training in the we were training pairs but we weren't together we were training with the national team and a bunch of us got together at Ty's house and we grilled up some sausages and steaks and stuff. Everybody just brought their own meat. And then yeah. Alec did some of it. Alec made some potatoes too, which he promptly forgot on the barbecue. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we just yeah. torched some potatoes for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Okay. So back on the hobbies, have you guys considered getting into Frisbee golf? I haven't considered Frisbee golf, but I have considered ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate oh, Frisbee oh, yeah. looks like an unreal sport. It looks like so much fun. Okay. Alec, what about you? Not necessarily. I've contemplated real golf and like not necessarily <laughs> Frisbee golf, but like when I, after I'm done rowing, like I think we should, I still got a year and a half left. So I, I got quite a bit of time, but after I'm done, I've definitely have got some ideas of, of stuff I want to be doing that doesn't yes. necessarily involve waking up at five in the morning. So let me try and sell you on Frisbee golf here because it's a great time and it's affordable and you get out in nature. So you go call it what it is. It's froth. It's no, it's Frisbee. <laughs> sure. You can call it froth, Frisbee golf, disc golf, yeah. whatever, but it gets you out in nature and these discs only cost like 15 bucks. And then you go play like 18 holes and it's the most fun thing because you just whip these Frisbees as hard as you can to tee off, <laughs> like trying to bend around trees and stuff. There's like a bunch of cool sites in Victoria, but then if you go to the Gulf Islands and go camping, it makes for a great trip because you can do a bunch of good Frisbee golfing courses out there as well. Highly recommend Frisbee golf and would gladly show you guys the ropes if you wanted. So say I went to like Salt Spring and then I went and camped at like Ruckle Park. Where can I go play Frisbee golf near Ruckle Park? Well, funny you ask that because apparently the old portion of Ruckle Park is actually a Frisbee golf course now. Really? Yep. Pender apparently has an unreal one. I can okay. Pender has an unreal frisbee golf course. I have been there. Yeah, but the big one in town is um, Millstream area. So you go past like the Home Depot, Costco, all those, and like the big liquor plant that has all the different dinosaurs outside. And you just carry on for five minutes and then take a hard left. It's hard to miss. It's so fun. So that's my pitch. That's all I got for you guys. I hope you're going to try it. I'll look into Frisbee golf. It sounds fun. Okay, there we go. Disc golf or froth or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. buy your discs at a, a local Kirby source for sports. Great place to buy your discs. Nice. Okay, okay. The last one we're going to end with is tennis. Tennis. Okay. I am have... bad at tennis. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, can I have just spent like the past, you know, three or four or five years doing everything in like this, like this one plane where you go back and forward and tennis, you have to get the lateral. None of our muscles are made for lateral movement right now. <laughs> They're not trained to do that. Alec and I are going to be busting knees and rolling our ankles. If we go out and play tennis, <laughs> I, my mom plays tennis and like my mom is, she's 60 and she needs an, she needs a new hip. And if we go out and play tennis, she'll still kick my ass.
<laughs> Alec, I heard you're not well you mentioned earlier that you're not great with hand eye, so I can't imagine that translates well to tennis. No, yeah. I kinda like majority of the time I stick away from hand eye coordination sports. Just you know that thing where it's like, you know what's good for you and like what's good for me is all cardio or all weights kind of stuff. <laughs> not a big uh Although spike ball, I, I can hold my own, but I have been, me and my roommates have been training in spike ball every weekend for at least four to six hours per weekend since the start of quarantine. Wow. Alex says that he will do cardio. It took years to get Alec to run with the rowing team. We would do, we would do, especially in the winter, we would do one or two runs a week that were 10 to 12K. And Alec would show up and go, he go, guys, I'm just not made for running you like i'm too top heavy like my knees just can't hold it together like i'm i'm not made for running and i tried to explain this to alec multiple times that humans evolved to be the elite aerobic animal humans can run for miles on end. you don't have to run fast you just have to go and if you run your body will get better at running i don't know i'm team alec on this one i feel like same your Dude, knees, yeah, still no, like, no the amount of weight you that your body takes from running, you could get so much like good cardio, uh, like from like Alec. I know you're into cycling. I think that's such a better low impact sport to get that cardio. Except I have my, I have my own. Yeah, yeah. Alec just crashed his bike. Thank you both for coming on the show to chat. It's obviously been a really fun time. We want you guys to take care, and hopefully, we see you guys soon. See you around, guys. Awesome, right. guys. Appreciate it. Well, Tyler, we just finished up our podcast with these two big lads from Men's Rowing. What did you think uh, of our conversation with Alec and Travis? I cannot get the picture out of my mind of Alec tapping a nail into his nasal cavity. That is like Chris Mind Freak stuff, David Blaine, that I've, you know, I've seen on TV a number of times and I just didn't understand how they do it, but apparently it's safe. So I'm not saying I'm going to go out and try that this weekend, but wow, that just goes to show what kind of character Alec is. Yeah, I may have to go do some Google searching because I don't know how valid that is, that that is actually a thing that a normal human body can take. But I also would like to know how they got on the conversation of deciding to do that. I think it's a bit of a wild card play, don't you? I absolutely do. It's just one of those things. Maybe you're just lying around bored one night, and like I said, maybe they saw it on TV. Are we sure it was a real nail, not like a trick nail? You know, the one that kind of collapses as you as you tap it, a good party trick? I think there's only one way to find out, and that would be to have Alec do it for us when things are back to normal here. I don't know if I want to see that in person. I don't know yeah, if I can you know stomach what? that. I don't know if I do either, to be honest. I did like hearing a lot about what the hobbies of these guys are up to. I thought it was pretty interesting to hear what these guys have made some time for that they have in, in recent years. That was great. Yeah, absolutely. I like the idea that Alex kind of doing a little bit of everything and he, he's even got some his own refurbishing business going on. I think that's, I mean, I would never have pegged him for that in a million years. And so I think that's pretty cool. I don't know how many customers he's had, but it sounds like uh, the guy's eager to make some coffee tables if anybody's interested. Yeah, well, hopefully we get the message out here with the podcast and maybe, hey, hit him up for a nice little coffee table, spruce up the apartment. Yeah. I wonder what his business name would be called. I I think it'd be like a spin, like a pun on Ikea, but with Alex. So like Alakia or Ikealic. Ikealic. 
interesting. I think those are working titles, but I think, I don't know. I'm seeing something with the last name, like staffers, staffers kind of, I don't know, goods or staffers refurnishing something along there. But like an ER at the end of the name, I think it's a good way to get going. Staffers, just straight, just staffers. It leaves the customer a lot to interpret though from the company name. That's all. You know, I think one of my favorite things about this podcast, though, and this isn't going to do it justice, but the reaction that Alec got and you got from seeing each other's mustaches when we first logged on. Yes. That's one thing that uh, neither of you knew. I knew it, that you guys were both growing these dirty, gross mustaches, but uh, you guys didn't know that about each other. No, I was pleasantly surprised to see Alec sporting the, the soup strainer. His... I mean, no, I'm not going to give you my opinion. Liam, you judge whose mustache is better. Yours is thicker. I got to say. I disagree. Alec has the ability to twist and curl his up. I think Mm -hmm. that is what you need. Yours is more of like, like yours looks like an NFL player, gross mustache, while uh, Alec kind of looks like a pirate. Yeah, his definitely, I thought his had more character. Mine was described to me this past weekend as uh like you're right off like an nfl guy like a fat offensive lineman is a mustache that and so i'm not really proud of that i'm doing a lot of second guessing since i've heard that but i was very happy to see another stash on the pod speaking of hair travis had some flow going too i know none of this is going to get acknowledged because you guys can't see either of these guys but travis but was very pro growing the hair out and i think it looked good on him it looked great on him one thing about trav that i remember I hopped on Eric one morning at men's rowing practice and Albert put me right beside Trav and I forget who was on the left of me because I, I just kept looking at Trav and the numbers that he was pulling on his machine were about, I don't know, a minute, like the pace, the, the 500 meter pace was at least like 45 seconds to a minute quicker than mine. And I was like pulling as hard as I can and I was trying to match him like stroke for stroke. So it just goes to show the amount of power these guys have that, I'm pulling at the same speed and doing the same amount of strokes, but he's just going that much further and that much faster. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that we didn't get into that should be recognized is that rowing is a lot of leg strength. Uh, There's a lot of push and and power generated from the legs, but I think a lot of people would just think it's straight back and arms. That's how I do it. And I'm doing it wrong. I'm all back, all arms. And that's probably my biggest flaw. Yeah. You're whipping that chain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I say we conclude it here, Tyler. It's been great having these guys on the show. What can listeners do if they're enjoying our podcast to help us out? Spread the word. Get uh, get some of your friends, get some of your teammates on, maybe even include yourself, nominate yourself. But as always, we'd appreciate it if you guys subscribe, rate, and review our show. Love to see those ratings and reviews if, if they're coming in. And uh, let us know who you want to see up next. I love the old uh, self-request. That's a, that's a Tyler Lowy move right there. Request yeah. yourself to be on the podcast. Yeah. If I was a member of the Vikes and on any team and there's this sweet-ass podcast going on, I would definitely want to jump on that. I think, I think we've had a good time with everybody. There's, I have not left the podcast yet saying, oh, that one's going to suck. Yeah, we've had just consistent great guests after great guests. So no pressure for future guests. Yeah. But there's a lot you got to bring to the table. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, this is the end of our Give and Go Vikes episode with Alec and Travis. Thank you for listening. As always, tune in to new episodes every Monday.
Thanks for listening to the Give and Go Vikes podcast, supported by the Uvic Alumni Association.